Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one bestseller, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of the medical merry-go-round? Are you looking for a potential solution to your health problem? Be sure and listen to our podcast, The Code Breaker. What's up on a Wednesday? Thank you for hanging out with us. My name is Brian Scott Rippey, my co-conspirator Colin Brister. I say us is out today tending to some family matters back home. Um, thank you for hanging out with us on this fine Wednesday morning. I hope it is much better off where you are. It is raining here in Oxford and had seems like it has been for the last two and a half days or so. Um, big show today. We'll get into some Ole Miss basketball, some what to expect from baseball this weekend, what the kind of outlook is after Ole Miss's 79-64 to loss to South Carolina last night. We'll get into some baseball free agency, maybe some other stuff on the way. So it should be a fun show. Um, hope everything is well with you out there. But for starters, this weather is rough. I it is it is a cold rain that seemingly hasn't stopped since Sunday afternoon, really, when they canceled Ole Miss's weekend finale against Wright State. Um, I was walking for those you don't know. I'm still in class. Um, in addition to doing this super talk thing, uh, finishing up a master's program, and I was walking to class yesterday in. 36 degrees temperatures and raining and I was thinking to myself you know if I if this were undergrad and I was back in like college what is the percentage I would be going to class right now and I started laughing to myself and it was probably somewhere around zero and five because yesterday would have been a day where you make like the half-hearted effort to get up to class you probably get dressed get your backpack walk to your car look at what's going on outside turn right back around and maybe put a movie on on the couch and just declare you're not doing anything today. Um, I think that's part of why people miss college. I think that's part of the nostalgia of it. And Because like you can't just do that in the real world, right? Like You can't just be like, oh, it's raining. I'm not going to work today. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to put on a movie and do nothing. That was the beauty of college. But anyway, hope it is well with you. Hope it is better off than it is here. Maybe this rain will clear up because Ole Miss is slated to play a baseball game against Arkansas State tonight. So we'll get into that a little bit as well. But for starters, we'll start off with the basketball game last night. Ole Miss goes to South Carolina um, and loses 79-64, a game that had pretty significant consequences with regard to Postseason play, NCAA tournament bids for both teams, and the SEC tournament, which is something I don't think anyone would have had pegged. Um, like we said on last show, I think if you had South Carolina and Ole Miss in mid-February deciding the last double buy in the SEC tournament, then congrats to you. Go take your ticket to the window because you probably cashed in pretty big and got some pretty long odds on that. But nevertheless, that's what it was. South Carolina is an interesting case. They could end up winning 12 or 13 league games and have like a 17-12, 17-13 record you know, heading into Selection Sunday, depending on what they do in Nashville. And it'll be an interesting case because they have some bad losses out there. They lost to Wyoming. They lost to Radford. They did have a brutal stretch where they played Michigan and a couple other schools to end their non-conference slate. Um, so uh, there'll be a really interesting kind of test cases to what the committee values because 
you know, on its surface, are you really going to let leave out a team that won 12 or 13 games in the Southeastern Conference as strong as the conferences this year? But on the other hand, how can you overlook some of the losses they had earlier in the season? And it's an interesting case because they were not fully healthy for all of that. You know, had some injuries early in the non-conference season. You know, that was a reason for losing probably a couple of those games. But at the end of the day, you have a loss to a, a really poor Wyoming team. You know, you lose to Radford. You know, as as an SEC team, I, I'm not sure how much of that you can put on injuries, even if you were not fully healthy. Because Wyoming has six wins. They are they are not a good team. So, you know, South Carolina is hovering around 100 in the net. They'll I didn't, hadn't checked it since last night. They'll probably dip somewhere right around 100, maybe a little bit below. They have one of the easiest finishing stretches in the SEC, and they currently sit at 9-4. and four. They could realistically be, I mean, 13-5 and five ending it. I'm about to I'm look down their basketball schedule real quick. But, I mean, they could legitimately win 13 games and have four non-conference wins by the end of the season, which is – which is kind of kind of wild if you think about it. Frank Martin's done a great job once they've gotten healthy this year. You know, these two teams were predicted to finish last in the league. This game was supposed to be kind of a battle for for the penultimate position. I'm sure that's not the right word, but the the second to last and last place in the Southeastern Conference. So South Carolina's finishing stretch is this. I just pulled it up. It is at Mississippi State. That'll be tough. At home against Alabama, who just lost to A and M last night, and probably. I don't want to say completely ended their NCAA tournament chances, but put a gigantic dent in there. They were going in as the last four in last night, lose to a really bad A&M team. That hurts. Lose at, I mean, play at Missouri, at A&M, and then at home against Georgia to finish the year. Outside of Mississippi State, what game do you see them losing the rest of the way? I mean, they could certainly lose to Alabama at home. I would doubt it. You know, Missouri A&M road games not always easy, and Georgia to finish. My point being is that you could legitimately look at them being 13 and five, heading into the Southeastern Conference basketball tournament. And like, like I mentioned earlier, they lose to Stony Brook the second game of the non-conference season. You know, lose to Wofford by 20. Wofford has a really good basketball team, but get blown out on your home floor. And then they have a stretch where they have to play Michigan, Virginia, and Clemson in three straight games. That is some pretty brutal scheduling. So, point being, it was a big game for both teams last night because South Carolina is looking at essentially no margin for error if they want to want any hot shot at an NCAA tournament bid, sitting at fourteen and twelve overall. Ole Miss, it was a chance to get a double by, get to nine and four. You know, if you get to nine and four, you essentially punch your NCAA tournament ticket or have an opportunity to with the win at home against Georgia on Saturday. Because I think the general consensus all along has been ten wins for Ole Miss. 10 conference wins, that is, gets you into the NCAA tournament with no questions asked. So a win last night, and you can pretty much lock up a bid on Saturday um, against Georgia. That did not happen, and we will get into why. It was an interesting game. So I, I, I missed the very beginning of it coming home from, from work, leaving leaving the radio studio, but Ole Miss gets out to a thir- you know 13-2 to lead to start the game, make like five of their first six shots, something like that. And then all of a sudden you look back up and South Carolina's on a 15-0 run of themselves. Um, up 17-13, South Carolina, I think, balloons it all the way out to 20-27, something like that. Something along those lines. It was it was a 21-5 run, I believe, somewhere in that neighborhood. And Ole Miss never, I say never really recovered. Ole Miss never really held a lead after that. South Carolina got the lead as large as 11 with about a minute to go in the second half. Led 40-29. 
You know, Ole Miss comes out, they have four or five really good possessions to start the game. Blake Henson starts the game with the three-point shot. Terrence Davis makes a jumper, makes a three-pointer next possession. Later, Devontae Schuler comes back down the floor and makes another three. Ole Miss really kind of blitzes them out of the gate. And then South Carolina settles in and really kind of releases a, a three-point onslaught. Um, I think they made six straight three-pointers at one point. They were six of nine from three-point range in the first half. That coupled with the fact that Ole Miss really, really struggled on the glass, struggled defending South Carolina's front line. Chris Chioza was really good. Ole Miss didn't really have an answer for him inside. Dominique Olenicek and Bruce Stevens get into foul trouble early. That is a recipe for disaster for Ole Miss because you know it's been well documented how thin Ole Miss is with regards to overall depth in general, but particularly on the front line, they don't get great or consistent post play as is. So when you're too your two primary big men get in foul trouble. You are really just kind of in bracing for disaster mode, really, for the rest of the half. I mean, it was they were playing a lot of minutes with KJ Buffett and Blake Henson. You know, in the front court, that is not something Kermit Davis would prefer to do for an extended stretch of time. But it was it was out of necessity last night that they, they had to. You know, Bruce Stevens picks up a couple early fouls. Dominique Olenicek picked up three fouls in the first half. So. You know, it got to a point where Ole Miss was up. Thir- you know, Ole Miss went from leading thirteen to two to down five. You start getting your big men in foul trouble, and you're really just trying to hold on it and 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 keep it a game by halftime. And Ole Miss did that. Uh, DC Davis made a great play by the end of the half. Gets a second chance ball and a hustle play leads to a foul on a three point shot right before half. So Ole Miss was able to cut into the lead a little bit by halftime and kind of keep it a game. Um, at it was 30, 40 to 32 so they're down 29 to 40 uh or 40 to 29 you know they get uh dc davis gets fouled in makes two of the three free throws so 40 to 32 going into halftime and honestly if, if you're an old miss at that point with the way the last 12 or 13 minutes of the first half had gone you're really not into terrible of a spot as that as crazy as that sounds because you know, given the way everything had gone, you got your big men in foul trouble. You you really weren't making shots. The ball movement got stagnant. It was interesting. You know, Ole Miss is a and this is kind of the case for any team to some degree. But Ole Miss is a really good team when they're making j- perimeter jump shots. You know, their defense is reflective of it. They play with more energy. I think Blake Henson is the epitome of that uh, as a freshman, and he'll eventually learn. And 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 that'll be kind of a a, gr- a growing step for him is how he impacts games when his jump shot's not falling. But watch Blake Henson when he's making three point shots. You know, he loves the the extracurriculars after the play. He'll, he loves to celebrate a little bit. He, he has more energy on the defensive end. And then watch him when he's not making jump shots. And somewhat, that's the way Ole Miss is as a whole with regards to kind of how they play offensively. So, you know, they stop making jump shots. The ball movement gets stagnant. I think they were a little bit bothered. I wrote this in, in some thoughts I put up on the on, on Super Talk at FM after the game. I think they were bothered by South Carolina's length on the inside. And you knew coming into the game that was going to be a problem for Ole Miss, you know, whether it's Chris Silva, uh, whether it's Coatsar, you know, some of those guys down low, it, it, you know, they're a long team, they're a physical team, and, and you could tell, you know, Ole Miss took it to the rim a couple times, Brian Tyree, Terrence Davis, um, and kind of got frustrated a little bit with, with how big and physical South Carolina was inside, and it seemed they were a little reluctant to drive the ball to the basket. So you start settling for, for a lot of perimeter jump shots that aren't falling, you know, the ball movement gets stagnant, and that's really where things kind of went awry for Ole Miss on the offensive end in the first half. 
Defensive end, it was it was second chance points. Ole Miss gave or second opportunities rather. Ole Miss gave up sixteen offensive rebounds in the game. Um, lost the rebounding margin forty six thirty eight for the game. South Carolina got to the line twenty seven times. They were the more physical thing team throughout. South Carolina had ten offensive rebounds in the first half. Had twenty six rebounds in the first half. That is a massive number, and that's been the common thread with Ole Miss when they lose games, right? So. You, you you think back to LSU, you think back to the Mississippi State loss at home a couple weeks ago. You know, that LSU game will miss loses after they got off to such a hot start in conference play. It was kind of a similar thing. They got the guards got a little intimidated by Nas Reed and and and, and Big B Williams size inside, um, and, and reluctant to take the ball to the rim, kind of got frustrated on some drives and and started settling for jump shots. And LSU really kind of took over the game midway through the first half into the second half. That was kind of reminded me a little bit of last night's game. They were similar in that sense. And then of course the Mississippi State game, um, Reggie Perry, um. Mississippi State gets a ton of offensive rebounds, second chance points really decide that game. It's kind of the story last night, you know, 10 offensive rebounds and a half 16 for the game is entirely too many. That's one of a couple fatal flaws for Ole Miss, and it was really two fatal flaws kind of infused as one, and I wrote this after the game last night. You know, you get in, you're already thin, you're already get inconsistent post play as is, and you have Bruce Stevens, Dominique Olenicek get in foul trouble. They weren't too terribly efficient when they were on the floor. Each played 16 minutes. It's a recipe for disaster. But Ole Miss, to their credit, they have they have special guards. They have you know Brian Tyree, Terrence Davis, Devonte Shuler. The three of them, their ability to score the basketball, Shuler's ability to take care of the basketball and run the point guard covers up a lot of flaws and a lot of warts this team has. And they kept a minute in the second half. Uh, Terrence Davis had 18, I believe. Bree and Tyree had 17. Um, you know, made some big baskets in the second half. Kept him at, kept him in it. Ole Miss chips away and chips away. They end up tying the game, 61 all, with about 618 left. And it was you kind of look up and it's it's like how is Ole Miss you know in this game with the way things were going? You know, how how are they? How is it tied? So they felt pretty fortunate to be where they're at. 61 all. Chance to win the game on the road. You know, six minutes left. All in all, with as bad as everything had been to that point, that's about all you can ask for. South Carolina closes the game on an 18-3 run and hands Ole Miss a, a defeat that's not going to hurt them on its surface. A, a, a defeat that would, I think I would, you know, I didn't catch Kermit Davis's postgame press conference. Obviously, I was not at the game. Um, I would imagine it was a little bit frustrating with the way they played because they didn't they didn't turn it over a lot. They just kind of got manhandled inside, and and I think that's frustrating for Kermit Davis and, and Ole Miss as a whole because there's no they know there's not a whole lot they can do to rectify that. And and I wrote after the game a little bit after their win on Saturday against Missouri. Bruce Stevens changes the ceiling of this team in the sense that if he rebounds like he did when they won at Georgia two weeks ago where he goes and grabs nine rebounds I think he had five offensive rebounds really active on the glass scores a couple points you know that changes their ceiling because they lack rebounding play they lack consistent post play so badly that if they can just get someone to be somewhat consistent and competent in that regard or, or both of them, preferably, with Olin Echek thrown in there too, it really changes the ceiling of this team because this team has elite-level guard play. They just struggle in the post, and they don't have a lot of depth there. So 
that was the story last night. You know, kind of got manhandled inside. There was really no answer for Chris Silva. He had 18 points. He kind of did what he wanted. South Carolina's guards crashed the glass hard, too. Uh, I think a little bit that was a product of Ole Miss scrambling on defense. That was a product of them trying to get out and transition a little bit. Um, but, you know, nine rebounds for A.J. Lawson. Um, let's see who else had a couple uh, Hassani Gravit had eight guards crash the glass well as South Carolina dominate on the glass. So what does this loss mean for Ole Miss? Well, on the surface, not a ton because it wasn't a game you're quote-unquote supposed to win. Um, I, I don't think you know prognosticating Ole Miss's win losses in SEC play going into the season, one, I don't think many people would have envisioned this as, as a game they're supposed to win. Number two, I don't think they would have envisioned South Carolina being as good as they were or Ole Miss being as good as they were, like I talked about earlier. So, you know, it's not a free shot because the it's it's not like they were going in there trying to pull off an upset, but it was a game that, you know, would have really put them in the driver's seat for a double bye in the SEC tournament, which if Ole Miss is getting the four seed in the SEC tournament, they're not really there to play for anything other than obviously winning the tournament on its surface. But I'm talking about with regards to an NCAA tournament bid. If Ole Miss is sitting as the four seed um, you know, on Friday night heading into Nashville, they, they have an NCAA tournament bid in their pocket. So that was a, you know, the double buy in and of itself is much more important for South Carolina because South Carolina might have to win the SEC tournament to, to get in. I, I don't think they can do that. I, I think they can get close, but you run into a Kentucky and LSU or a Tennessee, you know, in that championship game or a semifinals, that's, that's a pretty tough draw. Anyway, you lose the game. So what does it mean, you know, kind of coming down the home stretch of the season? Well, it makes Saturday's game against Georgia a lot more interesting than it already was. Because if you think about it this way, so Ole Miss is sitting at 8-5. and five. Like we said a second ago, 10 conference wins gets them in the NCAA tournament. Pretty much no questions asked. I think with as weak as the bubble is, and you can thank the Pac-12 for this, for likely being a one-bid league and, and its futility, 9-9 nine and nine might get them in, but you're certainly sweating it heading into Nashville, and you certainly don't want to go one and done in Nashville if you're sitting at 9-9. Nine nine. So, be that as it may, what does Ole Miss have left? So, you have this home game against George on Saturday. If Ole Miss were to win that game, and they should, George is really struggling. You know, you had Tom Crean's comments a couple weeks ago about how, you know, it's hard to blame the kids because he decided to keep them and they're just not good enough. Well, <laughs> I mean, spot the, you know, not the most ideal phrasing, not the most ideal word uses, but spot the lie. <laughs> It's in some ways, you know, they're struggling. And so you, you thought they might roll over and quit, but they played LSU a pretty close game Saturday. You know, I had a chance to win that game with a minute left. I was surprised. I thought they might roll over, um, you know, they've, they've after some losses. So you're, you're probably, I mean, you're, it's a game you're supposed to win. It's a game that would be a really bad loss. Georgia's net is somewhere in the upper 90s, I think. Uh, maybe in the hundreds, I'll look that up real quick. But it's a game you're supposed to win. And one thing about Ole Miss's resume is they don't have a ton of overwhelmingly good wins. They have the Baylor win in non-conference, which is looking better and better. Baylor had a huge win at Iowa State last night. That looks like a team, if it had stayed fully healthy the whole year, might have won the Big 12. Anyway, you have that. You have the Mississippi State win. Um, you know, you've got Auburn, how, your two wins against Auburn, how good is that going to look at the end of the year? Do you keep waiting for Auburn to figure it out? I, I think they will eventually. There's too much talent there between Harper and Brown in the backcourt in particular. 
Um, but really, Ole Miss is the main thing it has going for it. It has no bad losses. There's not a single bad loss Ole Miss has on its resume. And it's you know, that's not really just me saying that from a subjectivity standpoint. If when you look at their the tournament resume they put on the 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 screen, you know, on their broadcast, it says bad losses and there's none. So Saturday would be a bad loss for Ole Miss. There's really no no bones about it. Georgia's not a good team. Georgia's really struggling. Um their net, I was trying to find it here. I was thinking it would be upper 90s, somewhere in the 80s. Let's see. I can't seem to find it at the moment. Nevertheless, you know, would not be a good loss for them. So what happens if you win that game? You're 9-4, sitting pretty good. That's basically giving you a chance to win one of your remaining four games to get to 10 wins. That's obviously not how Ole Miss is going to look at it. You know, there's still a lot more to play for than that. But it's say they win against Georgia on Saturday. That's 9-4. You have Tennessee at home after that. That's tough. Uh, you know, Tennessee is one of the better teams in the country. A lot of people for a while thought they might flirt with a 1C. That appears to be a little a little far-fetched at this point, maybe. I mean, they still got a chance at it, but their schedule's backloaded. They got kind of exposed to a degree at Tennessee on Saturday. So... I mean, excuse me, at Kentucky on Saturday in a blowout loss. So Tennessee, probably can't count on that. You go to Arkansas, you're home against Kentucky before you go to Missouri to close the year. So you're basically looking at, A, either pulling an upset at home against Tennessee and Kentucky in your final two home games to get that 10th win, or you're you know, kind of the more realistic scenario. You go try to win a road game against Arkansas or Missouri to close out the year. And... That's a more realistic scenario. Ole Miss has been a good road team. They're four and three in true road games, which is a good mark in college basketball. And it's it's really been amazing to, to watch Kermit Davis take a team that was mentally fragile and, and frankly, you know, mentally weak in a lot of ways last season. They struck their big, you know, you, if you remember in early January, Ole Miss was still kind of in the conversation last year with regards to NCAA tournament. You know, outside shot obviously, but they were still in the conversation. Their numbers were okay. They'd suffer some bad home losses um, in the non-conference slate, but they couldn't get it done on the road in the SEC. They had some good home wins. They just could not break through on the road. That shot against at A&M last year with the ball, I can't remember who shot it. Maybe it was DeAndre Burnett where the ball goes halfway down and out comes to mind, and they really just kind of crumbled after some road losses, and they weren't able to break through on the road. And Kermit Davis has kind of taken that that same team that's largely the same group. In, in terms of contributors, it's virtually the exact same group and made them a mentally tough road team and a team that, that, that kind of has the confidence to go into anyone's building and win. So more realistic scenarios, probably Ole Miss winning one of those final two road games at Arkansas or at Missouri. Now, what happens if Ole Miss were to lose on Saturday against Georgia? Well, pretty much your room for error is eliminated. That means you have to either win, you know, you have to go two and two in your last two and when, you know, Two, half of the last four games include number five Tennessee and number four Kentucky. Well, that means you're pretty much going to have to go win two road games to close out the year. And I, I, I don't think you want to have to rely on that. I know Kermit Davis doesn't. That would eliminate pretty much all margin for error. So, and aside from that, as I mentioned earlier, it would add to an unblemished resume in terms of bad losses. It would, it would not be a flattering look on their resume. They don't have any bad losses right now. That would be a bad loss. So, Wrapping up with that, really, Ole Miss is sitting fine. That loss doesn't hurt them. They did not play very well. They struggled inside, got kind of manhandled inside. But it makes Saturday's game against Georgia 
pretty much a must win. You know, kind of a fun, joking, tongue-in-cheek debate we have on the show uh, all the time in the afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi 3-6 to six is, is there a difference between a must win and a have-to-have? And I'm not sure where I'd put that up with that this game against Georgia on Saturday on the spectrum for Ole Miss, but it is probably leaning towards more must win than have to have. Ole Miss really needs to have that game, and it's a game they should win. It's a game I think they will win. Um, but you know you can't come out flat. You you, know, you can't come out it, lethargic. You can't you know let Georgia hang around in the game. That's a recipe for disaster. So Ole Miss still sitting okay, 18 and eight on the year, eight and five. You know, everything's still kind of in front of it. The loss doesn't hurt you, but if you let it snowball into a second home loss, then they're really, really staring down the barrel of, of a dangerous weapon. So that's all for that right now. We'll talk to Kermit Davis and have media availability on Thursday, I believe, kind of get his thoughts on the loss, um, looking ahead to Georgia, kind of what Ole Miss has left. Um, Ole Miss is slated to play a baseball game tonight against Arkansas State. I am not sure if that's going to happen. I am not a weatherman by my own admission. Um, it does not look great, although it looks like some of the rain might clear out. This is the this is some high-tech, hard-hitting stuff here. I'm looking at the weather app that comes with your iPhone. So it looks like the rain might clear out by 2 or 3. Swayze Field drains really well. Maybe they'll get the game in. I'm not sure. It was originally supposed to be played yesterday, but it will be interesting to see who starts in this game for Ole Miss. Um, Houston Roth is dealing with the sprained AC joint and his non-throwing shoulder. Mike Bianco announced on on at his media day last Tuesday, um, you know, Houston Roth would likely be the first guy out of the pin on Friday in Ole Miss's uh, opening day game and then start the Tuesday game. He injures the shoulder, falling off the mound in practice, um, unable to pitch. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if Ross healed. I would, if I'm if I'm taking a guess, I would lean no as a precaution, and I would bet freshman lefty Doug Nikhazy gets the start for Ole Miss. Um, he's a kid that at times during their 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 winter and fall ball was as dominant as they had anybody on the staff. And I think that's the luxury Ole Miss has is that it has a great deal of depth on its pitching staff. I mean, you outside, I mean, think about it. You had Houston Roth, who I think most people from on the outside had pegged as the team Saturday starter behind Will Etheridge, and he gets squeezed out by Juco transfer and lefty Zach Phillips struggled a little bit in his first start. But then you have a first-round pick in Gunnar Hoagland going on Sundays. You know, Doug Nikhazy was in the mix there. Obviously, Houston Roth in the mix. That's five guys right there. And then you're talking about Jordan Fowler and Greer Holston, who Greer Holston really struggled in the fall and, and winter. Um, not entirely sure what is up with there. It'll be interesting to see how and if he pitches um, here in the next couple of games. But point being is those two guys who had significant roles on the team last year are kind of afterthoughts as to, with regard to the weekend rotation. And I think that speaks to the depth that Ole Miss has there. And so... It will be interesting to see who Ole Miss throws out on the mound today. Um, if it is Nikhazy, you'll get a glimpse at a kid that you know flashes three pitches, has a pretty advanced command on, on his secondary stuff. Um, a guy that you know the cliche really likes to compete on the mound. I think Mike Bianco is really high on the kid. You know where he ends up finding a role. Obviously, a little too early to tell. You know he could give Bianco a left-handed option out of out of the bullpen. Um, if, if if he does it, or he could become the incumbent midweek starter if, if Houston Roth's services needed are in the pen, or Houston Roth could very well find himself in the weekend rotation. So it just kind of depends um, on how everything shakes out from a health perspective and and everything else. So that will be interesting. Arkansas State, 
Um, not very good game Ole Miss should win, obviously, but you want them. I think they kind of got left with a bad taste in their mouth after that Saturday game against Wright State. They came out a little flat, had a two-error first inning, really didn't help Zach Phillips in the field behind him. Um, you know, Phillips struggled a little bit. I didn't think Phillips pitched too – he honestly wasn't ba- that bad. You know, he had the two-error inning. One of them was him missing the bag on a – on stepping on first base on a ball that was kind of in between the mount, pitcher's mound and first base, Zabowski flips it to him. He misses the bag, leads to an unearned run, gets out of the inning, gets through the second okay, and then the third inning his command slips a little bit, particularly with the fastball, and um, leads to a three. I think it was a three-run, maybe a four-run third inning that kind of led to his demise. So you know, Ole Miss was left with a bad taste in their mouth. They fall behind eight nothing. Don't really recover, and then they don't get to play the Sunday game because of rain. Don't get to see the debut of Gunnar Hoagland. Um, you know, Mike Bianco was on air with us on Monday. Said that was kind of the feeling. You know, you, you kind of want after a loss like that, you want to get back out as quick as possible and kind of rectify it in the weekend on a high note with the win. Ole Miss wasn't able to do that. So I think it's a game that, aside from winning, Ole Miss just kind of wants to play well and play play a clean baseball game. So. To me, going into the game, main story will be who is on the mound. Is it Roth? Is it Nikhazy? Is it someone else? Nikhazy was just my best guess as to who starts um, if Roth is unable. I mean, I, I guess I, you could see Jordan Fowler maybe um, if Roth is unable to go. Uh, all of this may be moot. Roth may end up being healthy enough to go. I would I would lean no, but I, I'm not sure. Well, we had not gotten a, a ton of updates on on Roth, he was throwing from six, off the mound from 60 feet 6 inches as of last weekend. Obviously, what stock do you put in that? Because it is his non-throwing shoulder. I don't know. You know, he probably gets out, out as a precaution. Another note to keep an eye on for Ole Miss going forward is um, Mike Bianco, when he was on our show Monday afternoon, said that uh, Will Etheridge will likely not pitch on Friday night for Ole Miss. Etheridge is dealing with a blister. Um, he kind of sustained on opening day. Uh, you know, I, I don't know when the blister first arose, but it was really acting up in the fifth inning. You could see him kind of playing at his hand a little bit. Um, Ole Miss had Austin Miller up in the bullpen. Will Etheridge was at 82 pitches. Really no reason for him to continue at that point in the game, particularly on opening day. Weather's not great. You know, you already stretched out five innings, 82 pitches, five and two-thirds innings at 82 pitches. He had, exits the game. They were hopeful he wouldn't have to miss a start. You know, a blister is kind of one of those things you just wait and see how it reacts to the treatment that, that, that is provided to it. So Mike said that, you know, too early to tell right now, nothing official, but he doesn't think Will Etheridge will pitch on Friday. How does that shake up Ole Miss's rotation? You know, does does Phillips, does Hoagland get moved up a day and they try to go with someone else on Sunday? Do they plug in somebody else on Friday, whether that's a Roth, whether that's, you know, I did, would they would they plug Nikhazy on Friday or would they plug Nikhazy on Sunday? Um, you know that could affect his status for the midweek game. It will be really interesting to see how Bianco handles his pitching staff this week. I don't have a good answer for you. Um, you know, I, I have a lot better idea of what ha- happens after this midweek game, seeing who who starts this midweek game for Ole Miss and the health status of Houston Ross. So that's something to keep an eye on. Um, tonight. So we'll have a recap of that game up on our website tonight. We'll probably talk about it a little bit on Friday's podcast. Um, so Ole Miss, Arkansas State, first pitch, I believe, is slated for 5 p.m. 
I'm trying to think about anything else on that game. Not not really. You know, Banker's still tinkering with his outfield a little bit, kind of what the best lineup is, you know, where to hit some guys. It'll be interesting to see who's in right field. Um, whether it's Carl Ginder was going to get the start on Sunday if they'd played the game. They put Chase Cockrell out there on Saturday. Um, Tim Elko got the opening day start out there. Bianco's trying to figure out kind of what his best lineup is out there, how much defense he's willing to trade for for putting the you know the best bat out in right field because Ole Miss likely not going to have the strongest anywhere near the strongest defensive outfield in the Southeastern Conference. You know you have Olenek in center field. You have Thomas Dillard, who to his credit in his own right has improved over you know from freshman year to sophomore year in terms of tracking balls and kind of looking more natural in left field, I think he would tell you he's not a defensive left fielder. He's there because of you know his bat and his power. Um, so right field will be kind of a similar in terms of the corner outfield spot. He's, where's Bianco? You know, does he use that spot to try to get some guys at bats and kind of see who 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 is best? Who's best lineup is with regards to offense? Does he trade that for a little bit of defense and put a guy like Carl Gindel out there who's a little bit quicker, a little bit better defender? Does he put Anthony Servidio or Jacob Adams out there who are kind of platooning at second base right now? Um, you know, I, I think that you'll see one of those two, whoever ends up losing out on that job, might play some corner outfield because they both are pretty good at the plate. Servidio is one of the better defenders on the team. He'd honestly be the best, he might be the best outfielder they have immediately if they put him out there defensively kid's a good athlete he's quick has good hands good range um but i think servidio will end up winning the everyday second base job bianco has shown in the past he is not scared to platoon guys at second base you know well into the year if not all year i think he'd like one of those second basemen between adams and servidio to separate themselves but I don't think he's going to rush it. So it'll be interesting to see who you see in right field, who DH is. You know, does Thomas Dillard get some innings behind the plate? You know, I think Thomas Dillard is going to catch this year. I don't think. I know that. Mike Bianco said that. Thomas Dillard is going to have to catch some this year. You know, Ole Miss has, behind Cooper Johnson, they have freshman catcher Knox LaPoser. Had been dealing with a foot injury, appears fine um, on that. He pinch hit. On game, I'm not sure if that was opening day or game two. Um, you know, put a charge into one right field uh, for a flyout, but a pretty decent bat with some solid contact. Um, so I, you know, does Thomas Dillard get some time behind the plate because he is going to have to catch this year? It was my overall point. Um, you know, does Cooper Johnson hit well enough to stay justify minutes every day and staying in the line? I justify. Playing every day and staying in the lineup, he had a good weekend at the plate. That's a good original sign, but he's not going to catch all 58 games of the season. They're going to have to have someone back there to rest his knees. I think it'll be Dillard mostly. You might see Laposer some. So do you see Thomas Dillard behind the plate for the first time in an Ole Miss uniform today? Um, I imagine his first outing at catcher would be a midweek game at some point. I'm not sure if it's today. I'm not sure when that will be, but that's another interesting thing to look out for heading into the game tonight. Um, Really, the last thing I wanted to hit on was some MLB free agency. Manny Machado signs with the Padres yesterday, kind of breaking the dam in what had been a stagnant free agent market for the winter. Um, I, It was interesting. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think anyone really had the Padres pegged as the place that Machado would have signed even a couple weeks ago. They were kind of a dark horse for him, I guess. Um, a little bit of a surprise team. Signs 10 years, $300 million. 
pretty sweet gig. You get to live in San Diego. $30 million a year for the next decade is not a bad bonus to go live out there. Um, pretty good weather. Pretty nice place to live. You're 26. You are a nine-figure millionaire when it's all said and done with. Um, that seems like a pretty sweet lifestyle. If somebody wants to pay me $30 million a year to live in San Diego, um, you could probably find my number. Feel free to reach out. I'd love to do that. So what does that mean? Well, I don't think it makes the Padres contenders. This year, they have the number one fa- number one farm system in baseball. You know, t- with Tatis and Urias coming up, you know, it, it seems to be about the time where they're starting a little bit to switch from rebuilding mode to contending mode as they bring some of these young guys up. Their pitching staff needs work. You know, who, which of their pitching prospects kind of turns into a projected starter versus relievers and things like that will be interesting to figure out. They signed Eric Hosmer last season, another another bat, won a World Series at the Kansas City Royals, great hitter, great player. Um, so this the Padres will be contenders in three years. I don't think this makes them contenders this year. Obviously, it's still the Dodgers division to lose. The I don't think the Giants will contend this year. They seem to be stepping towards rebuilding. Bruce Burchi announced his retirement as manager after the season. I don't really know what to make of the Diamondbacks yet after losing Goldsmith um, and some other pieces off that team. You know, the Rockies will probably be good again. You know, Arenado back, he's a free agent next season. Um, they bring most of their roster back from from what was a wild card team a year ago that's snuck into the divisional series. That's right, they beat the Cubs in the wild card game at Wrigley. So I think this makes the Padres contenders down the road it doesn't necessarily make them contenders today but it's an interesting dynamic and it's a it's Machado is certainly a piece they can build around you know great hitter you know going to get you home runs going to play every day a lot of offensive production what does does he play shortstop or third base I don't know probably third base I would guess um with some of the middle infielders the Padres have in their system and some of the guys they want to bring up whether it's Tatis or some of the or or a couple of those other guys, I, I don't know. I think it'd be third base. But they're, they'll be an intriguing team to watch in kind of how they build around Machado and, and, and flesh his talent with some of the younger guys they have coming up in the organization. So interesting move. Connor breaks the dam as far as kind of the, the, the water coming over the dam with regards to MLB free agency. How much money does Bryce Harper get? I don't know. Baseball has an issue there. I don't think it's a money issue. I think it's a length of contract issue. So these players, you know, the baseball teams have the money to spend, whether they want to tell you that or not. I mean, the, the San Diego Padres just shelled out $300 million for a 26-year-old third baseman. They have the money, but I think it's the contract length, right? I mean, in, in what industry anywhere are you going to have somebody that you sign to a 10-year contract? I mean, that's a decade. Do you know how much that can happen in a decade? Would you sign – I mean, look at the NBA – would you sign Anthony Davis to a 10-year contract? I wouldn't. I mean, he's a, he's a great talent, a great basketball player, but he's been injury-prone. He's already, I think, what, Anthony Davis, 25, 26, somewhere around there. Sign him till he's 36? A lot can change till then. I'm not sure I'd sign Giannis. I, I wouldn't sign Kevin Durant for a 10-year contract. Maybe not even Giannis out to Dacumbo. Just so much can happen in a decade. A 10-year contract is crazy. I mean, that's handcuffing yourself to somebody for a long time. And so... You know, 
baseball needs to find a way to figure this out, whether it's giving more guys money on the front end for shorter contracts. You know, you know, would have Machado made $40 million for five years? Would have been signed quicker? $35 million six years, something like that, as opposed to $30 million over 10 years? Would that have kind of gotten things moving with regards to him signing? Same thing with Harper, because most people think Harper is going to get more money than Machado. I don't know. It'll be interesting. Baseball's probably headed for a work stoppage. My 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 colleague Michael Borky and producer of our show was kind of out in front of that thing. You know, if they they don't get the labor negotiations kind of going and 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 moving at a level that they they aren't moving right now, they really aren't moving at all right now. Baseball could be headed for a strike um, next season. Uh, I read an article on the Athletic a couple days ago. I can't remember which player was quoted, but they were saying, I just hope it doesn't happen and bleed into this season in terms of a work stoppage. So baseball has some issues there. It was good to see Machado get his money. Maybe that'll kind of get the free agent market kind of up and churning a little bit. Obviously, you, you know, it seems like the Phillies and everyone else for Bryce Harper, how much money do they give him? How does the Machado contract affect that? Because, you know, most people think he's going to get more money than him. I don't know. It'll be interesting to watch play out. Um, you know, pitchers and catchers reported last week. Teams are kind of in spring training. Games start this weekend, I believe, spring training games. So as a baseball fan, that's always an exciting time for myself. Um, but yeah, those were those were kind of my thoughts on the Manny Machado thing. That is about all I've got for you for today's show. I appreciate you tuning in. I appreciate you sticking with me. Colin will hopefully be back Friday. Uh, just kind of trying to wing it do the best i can in his place i hope i didn't bore you i thank you for hanging out with me on a wednesday afternoon um hope the rest of your day is great and we'll be back at it friday come hang out with us thank you a super talk mississippi media production